Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The Other Side of Midnight presents The Midnight Files. to talk to is Nick Pope. Uh, He is something of a UAP slash UFO expert, one of the most sought-after commenters on this subject, not in the whole country, but probably in the whole world. He is a journalist and a former employee of the British Ministry of Defense, kind enough to join us on our very first show two years ago, and he's joined us from time to time since then. And uh, he is uh, kind enough to join us right now. Nick, thanks, as always, for staying up late with us. It's great to talk with you again. It's great to be back, Frank. Thanks for having me. Remind me of, um, well, not remind me because I'm familiar with it, but remind the listeners who may not have heard our previous conversations, what exactly did you do with the British Ministry of Defense? Well, I was a civilian employee there. I worked for 21 years in the department, had uh, seven or eight different jobs. But for much of the early 90s, I had a a posting where I was basically responsible for the UFO, UAP issue, handling the policy advice for ministers and and senior personnel, um, doing the investigations, handling the the media inquiries and and everything. So yeah, that's how I got into it. No previous interest or, or belief, just a government posting. Well, that's pretty neat. And um, by the way, the terminology shift is something that a lot of folks have taken note of from UFO to UAP. Was that done because the term UFO had become so stigmatized over the years? Yes, absolutely. And we pioneered this. We didn't invent the term, but we resurrected it in the early 90s in the Ministry of Defense. And uh, the U.S. government clearly took notice. And, and uh, one, one of the DOD, or actually it was Navy spokespeople, said, yeah, we borrowed the term from the Brits. And absolutely, we, we 
the term had so much pop culture baggage that uh, there was stigma. Pilots were reluctant to come forward with their sightings, and they were the very people we needed to come forward, pilots and radar operators. So we deliberately uh, shifted from UFO to UAP, and, and it did help, and it's still helping. I, well, I, I'm glad to hear that because uh, it's a shame for anybody to see something and be afraid to say something because they're afraid they're going to be laughed at or canceled or labeled a drunk or a conspiracy theorist or anything, uh, anything like that. Y- you are featured regularly on the program Ancient Aliens, and uh, this is one of the most popular shows on all of cable television in fact, it gets numbers that are so big, sometimes it beats what's on broadcast networks. And not long ago, uh, they did a segment talking about Prince Philip's interest in the subject of UAPs. This is from Ancient Aliens. April 9th, 2021. Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, passes away at the age of 99. As publications across the world report on his incredible life, it comes to light that the prince had a long-held fascination with the UFO phenomenon. When Prince Philip died in the spring of 2021, there was a bit of a surprise to the British public, and that was that Prince Philip had a huge collection of books on UFOs that went right back to the mid-1940s. And here you have the Queen's husband, Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, researching and investigating UFOs. Had the news got out, it would have caused a sensation. I certainly recognize that last voice there, Nick. Why was it a surprise for people that this was such an interest of Prince Philip? It was a surprise because uh, the, the sensitivities were so extreme that this simply was not advertised or talked about in, in the media. A few people knew about it. I mean, I, I knew about it, of course. But uh, the, the irony was, you see, that, that British government policy was to play down the subject of UFOs. Yet we were all technically, of course, in a constitutional monarchy, crown servants, and our own bosses were fascinated by this. So we were in a sort of catch-22 situation with with this but uh you know while while um prince philip was still alive it re- really wasn't something that could be discussed but uh after he died and now of course with queen elizabeth ii uh, having died very recently a lot of people are saying well what about all all the investigation are there files and things yes there are but they're probably buried in the royal archives, which and, and there are special rules about that. So I don't think anyone's going to be seeing anything uh, anytime soon. Did you ever have occasion to speak with Prince Philip on the subject? I didn't, uh, but I knew, I knew a number of other people like former Chief of the Defence Staff, uh, Admiral Lord Hill Norton, who, who obviously moved in those circles. But no, I, I never met uh, the Duke of Edinburgh, nor, nor discussed this with him. But I, I was, as I say, I was aware of his interest. I was aware uh, that he secretly uh, subscribed to a number of UFO magazines, which were discreetly sent to the palace. Uh, and, and indeed, through his royal equerry, 
he even interviewed one or two UFO witnesses over the years. Do we know what sparked uh, Prince Philip's interest in this subject? Yes, we do. It was his uncle, Earl Mountbatten, uh, who, who really interested him in this. And the fascinating thing about Earl Mountbatten is that whether one believes this story or not, but one of the people that worked on his, his estate said that in, in the mid-50s, there had been actual UFO landing uh, there. The, the, the Earl Mountbatten was not there at the time, didn't see it, but he called in this, this worker, interviewed him, found him to be credible, and, and that's what sparked his interest. And, and then, obviously, uh, it, it's something that he passed on to Prince Philip. You mentioned these sort of royal X-Files that he might have commissioned or at least had access to on the subject of space and alien life. You indicated that uh, this sort of a report or investigations probably buried somewhere. What would need to happen for this Prince Philip commissioned investigation or report, these royal X-Files, to be made public? Well, the the Royal Archives, uh, I mean, that, that is a thing, I mean, on, on a wide range of subjects, of course, but just as with the Freedom of Information Act, where there are all sorts of exemptions, uh, the exemptions when it comes to royal correspondence, particularly anything that might still be deemed sensitive or embarrassing, um, very, very strict. So I think a couple of people have asked and have been told that... Uh, no such papers have been located. It wouldn't surprise me if they were put, I suppose, beyond the reach of, of the Freedom of Information Act altogether by, by perhaps putting them out to a third party uh, in, in private hands. I mean, this, as I say, this was all almost literally above top secret. Do we know anything about, uh, people just tuning in, we're talking with Nick Pope, one of the finest uh, journalists on the subject of UFOs uh, anywhere, and somebody that also worked with the British Ministry of Defense, manning their UFO desk for a number of years. Do we know anything about King Charles and his interest in the subject of UFOs? Do his interests mirror his father's, or did he sort of take a different path as far as you're aware? It's not really known. Uh, he, he certainly has a number of interests that he's, he's passionate about. Um, architecture is one of them. The environment is another. Uh, different, different faiths and religions interest uh, King Charles III. But uh, if, this is, if UAP is one of his interests, he's kept it very quiet. There is a a, US, a federal U.S. government agency, and they created quite a kerfuffle recently. The U.S. National Intelligence Manager for Aviation, they unveiled a new logo. And the logo, as you might expect, of a federal agency that deals with aviation it has an airplane on it. It has what looks like a, a fighter jet on it, maybe even a drone. And then... It has this new logo has a flying saucer on it. Now, why would a U.S. government agency reveal a government sanctioned logo 
with a flying saucer. What's been the response uh, from this agency? What are some of the theories as to why this logo with the flying saucer on it was revealed? Well, this is an absolutely fascinating one, Frank. And, and the, there's been a new twist in the story just literally a few hours ago. Um, I, I don't know if you've seen this, but they have now walked this back somewhat. And the Department of Defense, uh, I think late last night or early this morning, um, released a, a statement basically saying NIM Aviation erroneously posted an unofficial and incorrect logo. Well, you know, that's all very well, but come on. I, I mean, so few people, I think, have the, the authority and the access codes to, to post on the front page of a government website, particularly one handling uh, sensitive classified intelligence matters. So that's, uh, you know, it's something. I don't know what's going on here. Sometimes, I, I think with something like this, it's... It's something that somebody wanted to be found. They didn't, they didn't sort of slip this out there, and it's not hidden. They wanted it to be seen. So they dangled it in front of people, and then when it got noticed and when they probably sure that everyone had got their screenshots, then it gets walked back. And it's not like this is the first time something like this has happened. Something like this, uh, I, I think we may even have discussed it a while ago, some ATIP. Um, documents, the, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, the DIA put some of those documents in their electronic reading room and they put them in the category UAP. DOD came on down on them like a ton of bricks and mm. said, no, no, it put them in a different section because they, of course, were taking the line, it's not a UAP program. So this sort of thing happens. I, it, could, it could mean there are different factions at work jockeying for for narrative control or it could be indicative of some sort of psychological operation but it's absolutely fascinating i mean i could see a scenario in which someone on the graphic design team with this federal agency was trying to um play some sort of a prank on their on their superiors and the public but i could also see a scenario in which there were elements of the government that wanted this to be out there to sort of uh, like that ATIP scenario that you mentioned a second ago to further the discussion of the UAP issue. I mean, do you have a theory as to as to why this might have come out there, a, a logo with a flying saucer on it? Yeah, I, I mean, it didn't come from nowhere. And mm. Even if you take the DOD walk back at face value. They're, I mean, they're not exactly saying a practical joke got out of hand, but they're, it's reading between the lines. Right. That's almost the way it, it sounds. But ask yourself how credible that is. I mean, that, that somebody is going to risk their, their promotion prospects, maybe even their career by putting, I mean, this isn't just some obscure oh, yeah. detail. This is, this is a new organization set up within the office of the director of national intelligence who of course last summer put out the preliminary assessment on on uap that went to congress and and the media and the public of course so i mean this is this is not something to be taken lightly no certainly not talking with uh, with nick pope nick by the way how often are you confused with the english soccer player nick pope quite a lot Actually, quite a lot, and uh, yeah, he we 
occasionally get each other's, um, not, not so much emails, but social media posts. He, he, I think, from time to time gets asked about Roswell. I occasionally get, get tips on which way to dive if I'm facing a penalty kick or something. Have you become a fan of his because of the name similarity at all? Oh, absolutely. We've exchanged a few. We've exchanged a few, um, you know, messages and things. And one of the funny things is that, um, you know, without wanting to fuel the rumors that I'm still secretly working for the Ministry of Defense, but I am still in the Ministry of Defense, uh, one of their longest standing fantasy football teams, Ah, football football being soccer. soccer, And of course, Nick Pope was my number one pick. (laughs) (laughs) Naturally, naturally. Uh, Obviously, the big news this week uh, as it relates to space is NASA, DART, and the asteroid. The attempt by NASA to use a spaceship to alter the trajectory of an asteroid. What what are your key takeaways as uh, somebody that's worked for a somewhat similar government agency about how this whole thing went? Is the threat of a, uh, a an asteroid collision with the Earth something that you're generally worried about and is this sort of a a good step in making sure that we're not we don't end up like the dinosaurs? It's a great step. I mean somebody once said it would be the ultimate irony if the first generation with the technology to do something about this um, gets gets hit on its watch by by a, a killer comet or asteroid that that would pose an existential threat to life on earth and and the mission was a great success i mean it was absolute bullseye i mean this 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 little asteroid dimorphous is, is only about one hundred and sixty meters across and it's seven million miles away and they 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 absolutely got it dead center so i and you probably saw the footage from the nasa mm-hmm. control room mm-hmm. of all the scientists cheering and things so it's 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 great and we absolutely do need a contingency plan uh we need better um a watch kept on our solar system for these sorts of things coming in in the first place it's it's you know so there's two halves of this you need the the telescopes watching out for for anything on a collision course, and then you need to be able to do something about it if you find it. And then what happened this week is addressing that. So it's great news. This may seem like a silly question to some, but there are a lot of people that are concerned, especially after seeing a lot of science fiction films like Independence Day, where aliens try to uh, take over the, the Earth and destroy a bunch of the humans that are on it. There's a lot of concerns in some quarters about hostile extraterrestrials making their way to this planet sometime or sending something that would harm uh, this planet at uh, the same time. Could, in theory, the same technology that's been used to make sure an asteroid doesn't destroy the Earth be used to make sure that uh, an alien ship or an alien weapon doesn't destroy the Earth? I mean, I guess it could. You know, you could say that all of this is dual use. Uh, I mean, and we can talk about this as being a wider part of U.S. government uh, policy in space, which is increasingly through through things like Space Command, of course, uh, recognizing that that of you know the the traditional war fighting domains, people talk about land, sea, and air. Well, now it's all space and cyberspace as as being the the two key war fighting 
domains. So, so yeah, I mean, anything that's set up to deal with, with kind of asteroids mm. or comets or, or Russians or, or Chinese or whatever um, could, in theory, absolutely be adapted. I mean, I'm a little skeptical that if we were facing some sort of alien invasion war fleet from a civilization a million years ahead of us, that, that firing a, a NASA probe, you know, is going to defeat the whole thing. But but why not? Right, it's exactly. a start. Exactly. Uh, speaking of um, space as the future of war, the Aerospace Corporation, which is a national nonprofit, they built a federally funded 90,000 square foot facility in Colorado to examine space warfighting and advanced system concepts and educate space operators and analysts on assessing a variety of threat scenarios. It seems like um, it, it's looking pretty prudent on the part of the Trump administration to launch Space Force to begin with. I know other countries have a version of Space Force as well. It really does look like space could be the next place where wars take place, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think President Trump was right to recognize that and, and put a lot of money and resources and, and brain power into it from from our our scientists and our military uh, leaders uh, absolutely yeah it, it's going to be key and you know no one wants to sort of sound like a warmonger but but the whole point is to prevent a war by by dominating sure. the battle space so it's it's as much about deterrence i think as anything else but the united states needs to be and is strong in space, but you, you know, it is going to be absolutely pivotal. So I think uh, the U.S. should put as much resources as possible into into space and cyberspace. I mean, information warfare and and um, cyber warfare is is going to be critically important as well. But this new space center is in, interesting and important. And you know, bizarrely enough, there is, of course, as there always is, a, a UFO twist to this. Because one of the people on the board of the Aerospace Corporation is David Norquist, who actually, when he was at DOD, set up the UAP task force. Mm. So it all, you know, it all comes together. Indeed, it does. I am curious, Nick, and I'm sure this is a question you get both in the media and maybe even in your personal life on a daily basis. And I'm sorry to be the thousandth person to ask it. You ended up seeing a lot of information at a very high level that most of us have never seen the kind of intelligence reports of all sorts of different sightings. And I, I'm curious in your your time with the British government and your time since leaving the British government where you've been called upon to analyze this sighting, that sighting, this story, that story. With all the information that you've been exposed to over the last 30 years, have you ended up being a believer that there have been extraterrestrial visits to this planet? Have you ended up being a believer that there haven't been? Or do you consider yourself sort of a, a jury still out kind of a guy? Definitely the latter. It's, it's you know, I'm not one of these people that's going to tell you, oh, this is a done deal. It's proven because clearly it's not. You know, I, I know a lot of people say, oh, there, there's a smoking gun hidden somewhere in the, the basement office of the Pentagon. But uh, if, if there is, they didn't show it to me. So I, I think, yeah, I, I'm open-minded about the possibilities. I've made no 
secret to the fact that that I agree with the ODNI assessment last summer that or preliminary assessment that there is probably no single neat solution to the UFO mystery. Chances are a lot of different things going on in parallel, but I've not hidden the fact that I'd love it to be aliens. It would be the most interesting and uh, impactful and historically significant solution to the UFO mystery. So that's that's what I hope it turns out to be, or some of it. I I mentioned the popularity of shows like Ancient Aliens, which you're regularly featured on. What do you attribute the explosion of popular interest, not just on television, because obviously you can explain the interest in that show away because of your participation in it, but um, films, uh, television, radio, podcasts, uh, mainstream news publications like the New York Times in 60 Minutes. There has been a surge of interest in the UAP issue over the last six years, so much so that Congress has been forced to hold hearings on it. The DNI, as you indicated, has been forced to issue reports on it. What is behind the explosion of interest in this subject in recent years? Well, I think it's several things. I mean, at, at the basic level, this is events-led, and it's, it's only happened because we've had these, these spectacular uh, incidents involving pilots and radar operators, and, and you know, this has been detected across multiple platforms, in, including the, the radar, but also the forward-looking infrared, um, former DNI John, John Ratcliffe, uh, dropped a little bombshell when mm. he talked about these things being picked up on on satellites, for example. So so it's events led, but also there's there's been a kind of wake up moment, I think. And you mentioned Congress, and absolutely, Congress is fully engaged on this now. And they, I think, they feel a little bit caught out that that they feel a little foolish that this was all dismissed as nonsense, and now they find out that it's not. So they're playing catch up. And in the next, I mean, the draft language in the next round of legislation, the Intelligence Authorization Act for fiscal year 2023, which is going to be probably incorporated into the National Defense Authorization Act for 2023, contains the strongest range of UAP measures that I have ever seen. Talking about a proper joined up effort into this, whistleblower protection for, for people who've been involved in programs who want to come forward and uh, testify to Congress. We're going to almost certainly, you mentioned the public hearings that we've had. We're going to have more of those, I'm sure. There's another report, I think, due to Congress end of um, October. It's it's all going on. And the GAO is going to do a, an investigation, by the way, going back, or, or this is in the legislation, the draft language, if it passes, GAO is going to go back to 1947, so Roswell, and and look at all that again. Well, it's certainly a pretty exciting time to be studying this stuff and commenting on it. Uh, Nick Pope, if people are interested in your work, they can check you out at nickpope.net. We've been talking with Nick Pope. He investigated UAP for the British government, and now he is one of the world's leading experts on UFOs, the unexplained, and conspiracy theories. Nick, it is always a real treat to talk with you. Please give my best to your wife as well. It's been way too long since we had her on the show, too. Will do. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. If you want to comment 
on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.